for healing, just reach out to us, let us know, and uh, we'll definitely pray for them. And uh, we see lots of miracles uh, through our prayer time. Uh, we've seen people uh, that have had strokes and all kinds of issues uh, be restored. Uh, we've seen uh, people, I mean, we've just seen all kinds of wonderful healings um, just through prayers. And uh, so, you know, you, if you guys online need prayer, let us know. And uh, tonight, uh, really, if you're close enough to come, you need to come. You need to come. You need to come in the house. You need to assemble yourself. Uh, tonight, we're going to start uh, looking at healings in the book of Kings. There's actually several healings that take place in the book of Kings. Um, and uh, give you a little bit of background in, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, um, the... You know, there was uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons, and their 12 sons, and, and the, his 12 sons and their families uh, created the 12 tribes of Israel, which created what we now know as the Jewish nation. Um, and uh, that nation's still strong today and uh, got returned back to having a nation in, I believe it was 1948. And uh, so they're still there. And, uh, you know, God's, God, so, and they're actually God's chosen family. And, uh, when we receive Jesus, um, we actually get engrafted in to the family, uh, of Jacob. We actually get grafted in, uh, because it was through him and his father and his grandfather that the covenants of God come. Uh, and, uh, so, and Jesus is part of that lineage. And so when we receive him, we become part of his house. And uh, that's how we come into the kingdom of God, is, is through adoption into the Israelite nation through the blood of Christ. Uh, and so these 12 nations were never meant to be ruled or reigned over by man. Uh, their leader was supposed to be God. They were supposed to be led by God. Uh, and how much you know, we as Christians, uh, we are to be led by God. If we'll let God lead our life, we don't have to worry about the laws of man because we'll automatically fulfill them. We'll automatically do the right and proper laws of man. The Holy Spirit just just kind of poked me uh, because here's the deal. Not every law of man is right and proper. Just because the law may allow um, things that God doesn't allow doesn't mean that all of a sudden God's okay with it. You know, just because... Um, just because they've made alcohol uh, legal doesn't mean that God says, well, you can drink, it's okay. And people will say, but Jesus turned the water into wine. No, uh, if you'll actually do an in-depth study, you'll find out that there's only one word in the New Testament for wine, and it means the freshest of the juice. It means the slightly fermented, the heavier fermented, and the actually um, what they refer to as hard wine or hard, or what we refer to as liquor, uh, and, or even what they put, make as wine on the shelves today, they would actually uh, add sugar to cause the wine to be more intoxicating. And the Bible tells us very clearly that we're to stay away from that. If you'll do a study in this, uh, what Jesus, in fact... The head of the wedding said when Jesus turned the water into wine, he actually said, 
most people will put the best wine at the beginning, which means the freshest juice, because that's got the best flavor. But then as they drink more and more of the juice, and, and, the age, and then they begin to serve the uh, aged juice or the fermented juice, uh, what happens is they begin to get a little intoxicated off of the sugar, and therefore it's, the taste doesn't matter. They, 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 they kind of accumulate, they kind of get them accustomed, that's what I'm looking for, accustomed to the kind of bittered, uh, the bittered uh, juice. Have you ever gone and gotten your cup of juice out of the refrigerator and it started to ferment? And you were like, ooh, that's got a bite to it. Well, that's what they were getting used to. But when Jesus turned the water into wine, even the head of the we- the, the head of the party uh, said, "Wow, most people hold, put the best at the front, but you held the best for the be- for the end. You held the best for the end. In other words, what Jesus turned in, what Jesus turned the water into, or by the hand of God, was the freshest." sweetest most perfect juice that you could have ever tasted that's what it was and um so so i don't know why we went that way but somebody needed to hear that and but my point is 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 the israelites were never meant to be ruled by men they were meant to be ruled by kings or, or by god but the israelites got to looking at the other nations of the world how much do you know that's a problem in our nation right now? The problem in our nation right now is everybody's looking at these other countries that have free medicine or socialized medicine. And they go, ooh, ooh, that's so good. We want it. We want it. What they don't understand is in these nations where they have socialized medicine is that uh, just when you get a sniffle or a cold and you want to go to the doctor doesn't mean you get to go. Uh, there's long waiting list, and uh, and in many of these countries, the waiting list is based on your ability to uh, supply some service or support to your nation. In other words, if um, you don't have a, if you don't have a lot to offer your nation, the far, the less you have to offer your nation as far as intellect and abilities and things like that, the farther down on the list you go uh, to get into the doctors. And, and uh, I know um, in some of these nations, uh, not only do you go farther down on the list, but they have certain protocols medically that you have to accomplish or, they, or you won't be able to be seen by the doctors. Uh, there was one gentleman out of uh, Canada that was having some heart issues, and there was some some stuff going on with his heart, and uh, he could not even get to the cardiologist until he went to the gym for so much time, so many times a week, and this and that and the other. There was a protocol of getting himself healthy before he could go to the cardiologist, but he was incapable of actually doing what was required. Uh, But if he didn't go... He couldn't get medical care. So a lot of times, so see, what I'm, what I'm saying is um, a lot of times, the other thing that happens in a lot of these uh, nations is the elderly don't get cared for because their ability to serve their nation is diminished. So a lot of your elderly don't get care. They don't get care. 
that's honestly why a lot of people come out of Canada into the United States to get care is because even though Canada has free medical care, a lot of them can't actually get care. And I'm not picking on Canada. This is the same way it is in, in socialized medicine everywhere. Uh, just when the Keatons come, ask them about socialized medicine in the Czech Republic. They talk about how horrible it is. They said, we lived under socialized medicine, and I'm telling you, you don't want it. You don't understand what it costs. You don't understand how it works. You don't understand how few get care and, and different things like that. And so this was the problem is with the Israelites is they were looking at the good of the pagan nation, what they presumed was good, and they said, God, we want what they want, what they have. And so God said, okay, you want a man over you? I'm going to give you judges. Well, they had some good judges and they had some bad judges. And uh, sometimes it worked out well and sometimes it didn't work out well for the Israelites. And then eventually the Israelites figured out we don't want judges anymore because that doesn't always work out well. Uh, so instead of saying, okay, God, we just want you, they said, no, these nations over here have kings instead of judges, and, and, their, and, and their kings take care of them, so we want kings. So again, see, what people understand is God will give you what the people as a whole want. You want to know why we have the president that we have right now? Lord Jesus, help me. How did we get here at healing school? The reason we have the, the president and vice president and the judiciaries and the people in government that are in government right now is because that's what the majority, listen to me, because that's what the majority of the people want in their heart. They may not be saying it out of their mouth, but in their heart, that's what they're wanting. The majority. Well, everybody in my circle doesn't like it, but you're not in every circle. You're not in every circle. And you're not looking at everybody's hearts where God is. Where God is. And so God would give the, would give the Israelites, even though it wasn't God's plan, it wasn't God's provision, it wasn't what God wanted, God said the people want it, let them have it. Let them have it. So he gave them kings. Oh boy. You ought to go see what some of these kings do. So we're going to turn to kings. We're going to look at one of these kings in particular. We're going to turn to Kings chapter 12. First Kings. First Kings chapter 12. First Kings chapter 12. Now at this point, at this point, um, all 12 tribes are part of the Israel nation. At this point, all 12 tribes are, are following God within reason okay now in verse 12 or chapter 12 we're not going to read the whole thing but in chapter 12 um let's look at uh verse uh we'll look at we'll look at verse one we'll go to verse three so you can see we're dealing with two different kings here and it says uh so uh first kings chapter 12 verse one uh rehoboam went to uh, Shechem uh, uh, for all Israel. 
uh, were to come to Shechem uh, to make him king. So all of Israel, all 12 tribes were coming to Shechem so that Rehoboam could become king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Neb, uh, of Nebat, uh, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it. So this, so here, uh, Jeroboam is in Egypt, and he hears that the Israelite nation is about to get a new king. And it says, um, for he was, uh, for for he was fled. From the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. Well now you gotta, you got to wonder. Why was Jeroboam fleeing from Solomon? That should give you a clue right there. That should give you a clue. And it says that they uh, sent and called him. Who sent and called him? The Israelites. They sent and called. And, and uh, Jeroboam... And all the congregation and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. And uh, if you go through here for the sake of time, we're not going to go through the whole thing. But if you go through here, um, basically the people, uh, the majority of the people of the Israelite nation, they wanted uh, Jeroboam to there be their king, not Rehoboam. The majority of them did. And uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, uh, they took counsel with the elderly, and then they took counsel, um, well, it was actually Rehoboam, uh, took counsel with the old man in verse 6, and he didn't necessarily like what the old man had to say, so he went and talked to the young men. Listen. Don't, if you need somebody to give you good advice, don't go to the young people. We've got smart young people. They're well trained. But don't go to the young people. Because the young people don't have life experience. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just got insurance. Don't come to me. I'm just figuring this whole life thing out. Like, don't come to me. Right? Well, Rehoboam went to the young people because he didn't like what the old people had to say. In other words, he didn't, he didn't like the advice the old people gave him. Listen, if you, you will save yourself a lot of grief if you will learn to listen to the old people. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. Uh, but he didn't listen, and they went back and forth and back and forth, and at the end of their back and forth, and again, we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but at the end of their back and forth, Ten of the twelve, twelve tribes followed Jeroboam, and two of them stayed with God's choice, Rehoboam. So this is where the uh, Israelite nations became split. In the time of Jesus, they were still split. They were still split, and so. Um, Jeroboam became what they called the king of North Israel. In other words, the nor- in other words, these tribes all lived in the north, and Rehoboam and his two tribes, which were Judah and Benjamin, lived in the south. Imagine that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
All right, the smart go to the south. The people of God go to the south. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Uh, but now I want us to pick up in verse 32. Well, let's actually pick up. Let's pick up in verse 30. You can go back and read it for yourself, but let's pick up in verse 30. And it says, and this thing became a sin. And then he begins to describe what became a sin. It says, for the people went to worship before the one even Dan. What did they do? Jeroboam brought the ten nations of Israel before a golden idol. Because that's what they did in Egypt. Remember, he was living in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he was worshiping, he was worshiping the, the little G gods. And so he became ruler over ten of the twelve tribes. And he builds these golden calves, these golden idols. And um, he says, even on to Dan. In other words, the tribe of Dan was in on this. And it says, and look at what it says. It says, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. Remember, the devil's always doing uh, counterfeits. Well, in Israel, because remember Rehoboam and the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they're following God. And under the, under the Levitical law, and, uh, on the eighth month of the fifteenth day was one of the Jew is one of the Jewish feasts. So Jeroboam said, "Oh, we'll make our own feast. We'll do our own feast. We'll do our own thing." And, and he goes on and he says, "And he offered upon the altar." Now, when it says the altar, this is not the altar of God. This was the altar to the little g gods that he had built. He had gone up to the high places and he had built this altar. And it says, uh, so did he in Bethel. So he went, he was over here, and then he went over to Beth, and he was over in Shishim, and then he went over to Bethel, and he made another altar, sacrificing onto the calves. Look at what it says. Sacrificing onto the calves that he had made. He went into, he took, <laughs> Jeroboam, I'm telling you what, this guy is, Woo! He took 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel and he built an altar over here in the high places and sacrificed on it. Then he took them over here to Bethel. He built an, an altar. He himself made golden calves. Golden calves. The G little G gods didn't make them. He made them. He made these golden calves. And, and then look. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. He put, he put false prophets, false priests, witchcrafted people in charge of the nations of Israel. He took little G God priests and put them over the big G God's people. He is messing with a, he is. Anyways, so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel for fifth, or the fifteenth day of the eighth month. <laughs> and in the month which he had um, devised 
of his own heart. He, they, they were, they were doing this feast of his own heart. They weren't doing this feast because God told them to do it. They weren't doing this feast because of the law. They were doing this feast to these little G gods because that's what he wanted. He was putting himself above our God and the God of the Israelites. And, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt, burnt, burnt incense. He caused, not only did he cause the split of the Israelite nations, he turned the Israelites, the ten tribes, into idolic worshipers. Idolic worshipers. Jeroboam is, I mean, I'm telling you what. He's a problem. Now we're talking about healing school, don't worry. Don't worry, we're talking about healing school. How much do you know that we make idols in our own life? How, don't, we, don't we make idols in our own life? Don't we make provision for our own wants and our own desires and our own fleshes? Even when we know that what we want's against God? Even when we know that's not what God has for us? Even when we know God said, no, don't touch that, like the alcohol? But it's, but it, but it's just a drink with dinner. Let me tell you something. I'm going to mess with your head. If you can't go without your drink at your dinner, you're an alcoholic. The definition of an alcoholic is somebody that cannot go without their alcohol. And it doesn't matter if it's one drink at night, a six-pack, a bottle, a fifth, whatever. If you cannot go without it, you're addicted to it. How much that's an idol? That's a god. I don't know why we're talking about this, but somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to hear this. Now, what's some other idols? Well, if you can't go without your favorite TV time, that's an idol. That ain't no idol. Let me tell you something. The Lord told Michael some years ago, uh, we were in a meeting, the Lord was talking to him and what have you. And uh, Michael, after the meeting, Michael came and talked to me and he said, honey, I got, we got a situation. I said, what's that? He said, the Lord told me that TV that's in our bedroom is a portal of evil. I said, oh, Lord Jesus. I said, uh, we got to get that thing out of there. Well, does that mean, Pastor, you don't have TV in your home? No, we have a TV in our home, but we're very particular about what goes on it. Very particular about what goes on it. And, uh, I mean, just, and, and the Lord was just talking to him. Well, does that mean I have to get rid of my TV? No, but you do need to make sure it's not an idol in your life. Uh, video games can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. Uh, gambling is an idol. You know, believe it or not, your family can become an idol. Believe it or not, your family, if, you'll put your, if you put family before God, your family is an idol. Anyways, verse, uh, thir- chapter 13, verse 1, And behold, there came a man of God. Now, the Bible does not tell us who this man is. We don't know if this is... We don't know if this is a prophet or if this is just somebody in the church of God or who it is. It tells us it doesn't tell us anything about this person. All it tells us is there came a man of God. A, a, a man of God. Well, let me tell you something. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are we're living clean and you are following the commandments of God, this could be you. This could be you. This could be you man or a woman, 
It says either or. It doesn't matter. God's not a respecter of persons. And behold, there came a man of God onto, or here came a man of God out of, where did he come out of? Judah. He came out of the nation of Judah. He came out of the south, and he went to the north, and he got in front of this king. Uh, how much do you know? Uh, they're not real fond of him. Because for him to come out of Judah means that he rejected their king. <laughs> I mean, come on. It says that he came out of Judah by the word of the Lord onto Bethel. In other words, God was directing his steps. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. This man, I'm telling you what, the Holy Ghost will make you bold if you'll let him. This man did not just go into the north and say, hey, by the way, get this message to your king. This man went to the altar where the king of the ten tribes was burning incense to their God. This man was bold. Bold. And, uh, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. In other words, he walked right up to that altar and he began to declare the things of God. This man was bold. But listen, when you dedicate your life to God, when you get, I mean, when you just saturate yourself in the things of God, yes, Holy Ghost, I hear you. When you saturate yourself in the things of God, God will change your very personality. He will change your very personality. You will become somebody that you were not before. And you'll become somebody, and what you become will not be evil or, or anything. What you will become is a powerful servant of the Lord God. That's what you'll become. And so this man become, became this. And it said, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. In other words, he wasn't speaking of himself. He was speaking of God. Now, I'm going to take a little journey here because we're talking healing school. But I believe a lot of people get sick. This is just my personal opinion. I believe a lot of people get sick because they disrespect the office of the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, and the apostle. I truly believe that a lot of people in the church get sick because they disrespect their pastor. They look at their pastor and they go, oh, that's just so-and-so. They know my business. They're just preaching out of head knowledge. Some pastors do. But woe unto you if they're speaking by the power of God and you chuck it up as it's just a person. Woe unto you. Because you have to understand, and I've not preached about this a whole lot, and, I, and I'm accountable to God for that, and that's going to change. But your, as your pastor, I'm not building myself up. I'm not puffing myself up. I'm not making myself to be somebody because without the Lord God, I'm a nobody. But as your pastor, I am the mouthpiece of God into your life. I am a direct extension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you if you sit in that seat and you go or you sit online and you go, oh, well, that's just that's just somebody giving us their opinion. Now, I started this with this is my opinion. My opinion is that you that many people get sick because they disrespect the offices, especially the office of their pastor. But what I'm telling you is that and by by scriptural truth, that the pastor is the under shepherd of the great shepherd. 
And so as an under-shepherd, we're a direct extension of Jesus Christ himself into your lives. And so when we preach and we, say, and we call things out and we speak about things and it pertains to your life and you blow it off as, well, they just have head knowledge, you are on very dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground. Nice little side journey, but that was important and necessary for somebody. And uh, it says that he, verse 2, I'm trying to get through with this, Lord. Verse 2, and he cried against the, altar, uh, in, uh, against the altar in the word of the Lord. He wasn't speaking of himself. This was not some man from Judah that was just mad at the ten tribes and said, well, I'm just going to go call them down at their... That's not what he did. How many, do you know that there were millions and millions? I mean, there were millions of Jews. And I'm a single guy. I'm going to go in there and tell these million people, uh, you're all wrong. <laughs> no, he went as an extension of the Father God. He went as an extension of the Father God. And he said, and this is what he said. He said, oh, altar, oh, he said, oh, altar, altar. Hmm. Woo! God was not pleased with this altar that Jeroboam had made. O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born uh, unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee. And men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Josiah, this, this priest Josiah, he came along about 600 years later from what I understand. And uh, go do some research on Josiah. But what he just prophesied just came to it does come to pass. And it says, and he gave a sign uh, the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent or split into, and the ashes that are upon it shall be burned out, be poured out. So there were ashes piled up on this altar because he had been burning uh, animals, he had been burning incense, he had been burning this. And and this man of God said, "Y'all want a sign?" Now in the Old Testament they lived by signs. New Testament we don't live by signs, but uh, we do. But but we do have signs, wonders, and miracles that do happen. We've had people miraculously healed in our congregation. I mean, miraculously. Pastor Michael, his knuckle was miraculously restored. Brother Richard, set free of Parkinson's and, and uh, symptoms of a stroke. Miss Brooke had uh, uh, bone spurs in her heels, dissolved and gone. I mean, we've had them. We've prayed for people for divine healings, and they've taken place. They've taken place. I'm just listing just a few. Uh, Miss Bridget's a walking testimony. Uh, her medical record shows that once upon a time she had MS. Her body says, uh, no, I don't. She's a walking miracle. Walking miracle. Glory to God. Why is she a walking miracle? Because she got a hold of the word of God. Glory to God. And verse 3, and he, and, he gave us, and he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign uh, with the, which the Lord has spoken. Behold, uh, the altar shall be rent and the ashes that are upon it poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam 
heard the sayings of the man of God, which had cried against the altar of Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. Ha! Jeroboam reached his hand out across that cursed altar, and he said, Take a hold of this man of Judah. And uh, you, how much do you know? I said, he's in, bad, he's in a bad territory. But watch what God does. Watch what God does. He said, lay a hold of him. And his hand, which he poured, put forth against him, dried up. Listen, God tells you to go do something. You ain't got nothing to worry about. He said, and his hand dried up so that it could not so that he could not pull it in again to him. He was froze. He was froze. His hand was stiff. His arm was petrified in that position. And he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't do anything about it. Couldn't do anything about it. He had paralysis in his arm. And it says, and the altar also was rent in that moment. He, he put his hand out and he said, lay hands on, get a hold of him, arrest him, in other words. And in an instant, his arm became paralyzed and froze in place and the altar rent. The altar split into two. Split into two. And the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Well, how much you know right now Jeroboam needs some healing? I mean, now here's the deal. You might be thinking, well, pff, he's totally against God. He ain't, God ain't going to heal him. No, God's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. And if, there, if this man's going to repent and get right, he, I mean, if, if he's going to repent, he's going to repent. I mean, God's going to give him an answer. And then in verse 6 it says, And the king answered, and uh, and the king answered and said unto the man of God. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, paralyzed like this, all of a sudden, now Jeroboam wants to talk to this man of God. All of a sudden, he wants to say something to this man of God. And he said, he said to the man of God, he said, entreat. In other words, dear Lord, please pray. He, he was saying, pray for me. That word entreat means to pray with some fervency. He said, entreat. Look at what he said. Entreat now the face of the Lord your God. <laughs> he said, um, excuse me, can you please pray to your God? Pray to your God. Your God. In other words, Jeroboam just figured out that he's been serving the wrong God. He just figured it out. He's been serving the wrong God. He said, uh, he said, um, entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me. Now, how much do you know this man from Judah? He's going to have to deal with his flesh a little bit. Because he's sitting there going, um... That's my family you've been messing with. That's my family. You took, you took ten tribes of my family out of the will of God. 
I want you to know, uh, this man of God's kind of got to get over his own self and his own anger and his own resentment toward this man. He's kind of got to get over some things because now this man's going, Oh, I miss God. Oh, pray for me. Because I don't think Jeroboam, let me just be honest, I don't think Jeroboam was like, Hmm, this is a problem. Uh, can you, like, I don't think that was the case. I think Jeroboam, I think probably Jeroboam was probably on his face. It doesn't say that he was, but I think he probably was. Yeah, because he's, yeah, good chance he peed his pants probably. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, this is not a good situation. He said, pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord. In other words, this man of God began to plead Jeroboam's case. And how much, you know, that had to be a hard case to plead. Well, Lord, I know that he separated the king. The, 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 I know that he separated, you know, uh, 10 of the 12 tribes. Oh, Lord, I know that he exalted himself above, above the throne that you called, you called his brother to. I, you know, I mean, Lord, I just, you know, but Lord, I believe this man of God probably said something like, forgive him for he knew not what he was doing. Forgive him, Lord. Forgive him. He didn't know. He didn't understand. Father, forgive him for he is deceived. It's probably what this man prayed. Because it says that he besought the Lord. That means that he, that he pled the man's case. Uh, he, says, I he said, uh, and the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. How much do you know? He probably, pro probably the besotting was a little bit, Lord, forgive him. That he doesn't know what he did. He was deceived. And oh, by the way, Lord, would look really good in front of the ten tribes right now <laughs> like for you to put not only to like paralyzing but then for you to restoring and here's the other thing this is a type and shadow you can get out there on the listen you can get out there on the devil's territory thank you holy ghost for revealing this many people hold on to sickness because they believe and in and in some cases they know for a fact that they brought their sickness upon themselves they brought their deficiency upon themselves. They brought their par being paralyzed upon themselves. Maybe they got out. Maybe they got out here driving the car way too fast, and they knew they weren't supposed to do it. But they were like, oh, "I don't care. I'm gonna do it anyways." And they get in a car accident, and paralyze themselves. Whatever the situation, they go out. They go get drinking and what have you, and they get in a car accident and they kill somebody and they injure themselves and they paralyze themselves. Whatever the situation is, and they go. I brought this upon myself. A lot of people will do this, and because they brought this sickness upon themselves, they know that they know that their actions caused their outcome. They refuse to allow God to restore them. How much do you know? Jeroboam knew that he caused. He, I mean, he's an Israelite. He's a Jew from, the, from birth. He understands that if you don't follow the commandments of God, all of these curses come upon you. He understood this. They lived this. But yet he purposely went against God. So now he's like, okay. He's praying. He's seeking. 
The very God that he rejected, he's now turning to and saying, Father, restore me. Restore me. Listen, if you've got sicknesses in your body that you know are results of your own choices, it's okay to ask the Lord to restore you. And he will because he's full of love and mercy. He's full of goodness and kindness. Because look at what it says. He said, and the, man bes- uh, and the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again. God is not like, boom, permanent sickness on your body. Now live with it the rest of your life. You have consequences for the rest of your life. God says, oh, you got the point? You understand that I'm the one true God? Okay, restored. Restored. Immediately, restored. Glory to God. Glory to God. So if you've got sicknesses, if you've got ailments, if you've got situations in your life, and you go, but this was my own fault, just go to God and let God restore you. Make the necessary adjustments and get restored. If you have, if you have uh, emotional scars and emotional injuries and mental problems because of the choices that you've made and because of the things that were impacted on your life. Listen, there's a lot of people that, that just, they eat themselves because of the choices they've made. Let God restore you. Let God restore you. Let God bring you back into right fellowship and right health with him. And we read just a little bit more, find out a little bit more. And it says, And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. Jeroboam still doesn't get it. Jeroboam thinks it was the man. He thinks it was the person. And here's the deal. A lot of people believe that about healing. We've gone and we've prayed for people many times and gotten them healed. But it wasn't us healing them. It was God flowing through us. We had, Miss Ann has one gentleman. We went to the hospital and prayed for him because uh, he had had a, a heart situation. And then he got, um, uh, huh? Did he not get sick? I don't remember. He had, he had a heart situation. This was years ago. That was a different person. Uh, but he, but uh, he was in the hospital because of a heart. He had a heart attack. That's what it was. And, uh, and, but it was a severe heart attack. And, I mean, severe. Uh, and uh, we went and we prayed for him. And, uh-huh. Yeah, he shouldn't have lived. That's how bad the heart attack was. And uh, we went and we prayed for him. And God restored his heart. And, you know, every time mom sees the gentleman, he, she, he's like, oh, there's the one that saved my life. There's, and every time mom says, no. No, and then and he kind of does it kind of joking, and then he goes, no, no, I know it was God, but God used you, and you were obedient, and I'm thankful for your obedience. But Jeroboam, that wasn't his thinking. Jeroboam said, come on into the house, be refreshed, and I will give the reward. And here's a very key point. Verse 8, he says, and the man of God said unto the king, if thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged, uh, for, for so it charged me by the word of the Lord saying, um, eat no bread nor drink water nor turn 
again, uh, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he come to Bethel. In other words, this man of God knew not to take the glory, not to take the credit, not to take payment. And uh, when he did, if, or if he had done that, it would have brought uh, sickness upon him and uh, back on upon uh, Jeroboam probably too. So uh, what we can learn from this is even when you are in a hot mess with God, even when you've done things that bring your sickness, bring sickness upon you yourself, God will still restore you. Don't sit there and say, I deserve this sickness. Well, okay, maybe you do deserve it, but you don't deserve to maintain it and keep it. God is more than willing to restore you. All you have to do is put your faith and trust and confidence in him. All you have to do is make a request. Make a request, and God will hear, and God will respond. He will hear, and he will respond. Glory to God. I'm sorry. I said Josiah, King Josiah came back about 600 years later. It was actually about 360. 360 years was when King Josiah came on the scene. Um, we're going to look at one more other kind of short one here, but it's got some great points in it. Uh, let's turn to chapter 17. Chapter 17, these are some other great points. Uh, and this is where Elijah prays for the widow's son. Prays for the widow's son. And uh, just to kind of give you a little backstory, there was a famine in the land. Uh, the Lord told Elijah to go to this house and there'd be a widow that would take care of him. And, uh, and uh, she said, well, I've only got a... Enough meal, enough oil and enough meal for a cake. My son and I are going to eat it. We're going to die. And he said, no, go make me a cake first. And the meal and the oil never ran out and sustained them. And Elijah was living in her house. And then uh, uh, a situation came. So we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17. And uh, we're going to pick up uh, 1 Kings 17, 17. And it says, it came to pass after these things, talking about the barrel and the oil never running out, um, that the son of the woman, um, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his uh, sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. So her son did not get, this widow and her son are in the house, uh, Elijah's in the house, uh, and her son comes sick, comes down sick, and he's not a little sick. He's so sick that, that the breath of life has left his body. He has physically died. He has died. And, uh, and she's really not okay with this situation. And she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Listen, she was being sarcastic. She was being sarcastic. She was like, oh, here I am supposedly taking care of you. Because remember, he said, God sent me to, you know, God's, uh, I'm sure over time, she probably said, why did you ask me for the cake and oil? And I'm sure he probably said, well, because God sent me. Probably something simpler along those lines. 
And so she said, so she's kind of laughing and stalking, knocking at him. And she's like, uh, um, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? <laughs> no, come on. She's, she's mad at him for her son's death. And she's like, you're the one that brought my sin before me. You're the one that killed my son. How much do you know it wasn't him that did it? It was the thief. It was the thief that came and brought sickness to her son. It was the thief. And obviously, if God sent Elijah to this woman, this woman had to have some degree of hope or faith or something. Something. Because the meal never ran out. I guess it could have been on Elijah, but something. And it says, and he said unto her, give me thy son. I don't think it was like, it's okay, dear lady. It's okay. Just, just hand me your son. Because she's being snarky and rude to him. He thought he probably like, give me that child. Give me that son. I mean, he probably had some fire in him. A little bit of fire in him. And, uh, and, and now, and he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft. Now, let me tell you something about a mother that loses her child. That mother is not going to easily let that child's body out of her hands. That's her baby. That's her child. That's her hope. That's all she has. And he probably had to, I mean, that's probably part of why he had to be a little aggressive with her. And he said, he said, uh, he said, uh, give me thy son, and took him out of her bosom, and carried him up into the loft where he, had, where he abode. Why did he have to take the child to his room? Because it was in his room is where he prayed. It was in his room that he met God face to face. It was in his room that there was no doubt and disbelief. Because she's got doubt and disbelief. She doesn't even believe he's the man of God. So he's got to get this boy in, a, in the right space. In the, and this is nothing different than what Jesus did. How much do you know when Jesus went to Jairus' house, he sent out all the unbelievers. He separated out the unbelief. And uh, so this type of show, he's separating out the unbelief. And uh, where he abode and laid him on his bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God. Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her, God, her son? Now remember, this is Old Testament, and they didn't understand the works of God versus the works of Satan. Like we understand it today. We look at this and we go, God didn't do that, Satan did it. But they didn't have that understanding. He's pleading this child's case and this woman's case with the understanding of God that he has. He's pleading it with the understanding that he has. And uh, he said, uh, and he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul we understand that word soul is interchangeable with soul and spirit. Come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul or the spirit of the child came into him again, and he revived. And he revived. Now I want to look at a couple of things here. 
First of all, Elijah got the child out of dis out of the atmosphere of disbelief and out of the out of the atmosphere of no faith. He got the child into the place of faith. Many people do not take the time or do the work to get themselves out of the atmosphere of unbelief. Do you hear me? Many people don't take the time to get themselves out of the atmosphere of doubt and unbelief. How do you get yourself out of the atmosphere? You spend much time meditating, speaking, talking the word over and over, getting scriptures down on the inside of you. Uh, Romans 10, 17, we all know it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, uh, sometimes, and, and, and a lot of people will try to get like a bunch of word. You only need two or three words. You really truly only need one word from God. You just, you just need to get you one, two, three scriptures that deal with your situation and you need to mull over them and speak, and speak them and think on them and talk them out until faith drops down on the inside and it eradicates Doubt and unbelief out of your heart. And so that's what he did, is he got that child into an atmosphere of faith and away from doubt and unbelief. And then it says, and he cried, and then he pled the child's case. He pled the woman's case. Once you get your faith unlocked, once you get doubt and unbelief eradicated, then you can begin to talk to God. And you can then begin to say, okay, God, I see in your word, basically you can take your scriptures and you can look at, like 1 Peter 2.24, Father, I see that it says, by his stripes I was healed. Well, Lord, Jesus was striped. And, at the, and, and, and the word says in Galatians 3.16 that everyone that hangeth on a tree uh, is, is cursed and that he was cursed for my redemption. So, Father, I see that, that Jesus, that all sickness was laid upon Jesus when he was striped, and that he carried my burdens, he carried my wounds, he carried my transgressions. Uh, Isaiah 54, 4 and 5, 53, 4 and 5. Isaiah, and uh, he bore my sicknesses. And therefore, if he was, he, if, he, if my sicknesses was healed, then they are healed, then I don't need to carry this sickness because I've been redeemed from this curse and this sickness no longer has a right to my body. What did, what, what did we do? We took the scripture, we meditated on it, we connected them, we got faith to drop down, and we were able to plead the case. That's what, Isaiah, that's what um, um, Elijah did is he pled the case. Now... And some people get a little wonky with this. Verse 21. After he pled the case, it says, and he stretched himself upon the child three times. The child's laid out on the bed. Elijah laid across the child. Or, or I mean, I don't know. Maybe he, was, maybe he was face to face, tummy to tummy, toe to toe. I don't know. It just says he stretched. Or maybe he just laid across him. I don't know. But there have been ministers that have gotten into weeds in this. And there have gotten, people have gotten into weird stuff with this. With, oh, I've got to lay across you and i got to, and 
No. What was Elijah doing? Elijah was doing an act of faith. If any, he probably had a basic understanding that there was breath in him, and he was stretching across and pleading across. He was being led by the Holy Ghost. How much you know Jesus did some weird things? Jesus did weird things. Remember he spit in one guy's face? He spit in the clay and made mud in another guy's face and then took that mud and spread it in another guy's eyes. Like, uh, Jesus? Like, what are you doing? Like, what? Remember that? Jesus did some weird things. God, for whatever reason, God prompted Elijah to stretch himself across this child. To stretch himself out three times. Why three times? Don't know. Jesus went to the Jesus went uh, to the into the grave for three days. Jonah was in the fish for three days. I don't know why three days, three times, but the Holy Spirit said stretch for three times. So he did. What was he doing? He was obeying the Spirit. He was being obedient. He was showing faith. He probably said, "Lord, I really don't want to lay across this dead child, but okay, if that's what you want." But I've seen ministers, they do it all weird, and they stretch, and they tell Dad Hagen, God, Dad Hagen was going through a ministry line one time. And he came across this woman that had a big bloated stomach. And she needed prayer. She had a tumor in her stomach. That's why her stomach was huge and bloated. And all of a sudden, he clearly heard the Lord say, punch her right in the stomach. But Dad Hagen's a gentleman. He's a gentle man. God, I am not going to do that. He's standing there praying for this woman. And in his head, I mean, in his spirit, he's having an argument with God. God, I am not going to punch this woman. And God said, are you going to obey me or not? And and he said, Jesus, uh, but you told me to punch the woman. Uh, And he said, yeah, I did. And he said, Jesus, if I punch this woman, number one, it's wrong for me to hit. I'm a man. It's wrong for me to hit a woman. And number two, uh, she's got a tumor in there. And what if I punch her and I bust the tumor and cancer goes everywhere? And God said, punch her in the stomach. But he knew that 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 he heard from God. So he hauled off and he punched her in the stomach. And when he did, her, that, her stomach instantly deflated, and the tumor was gone just like that. They confirmed it later. Tumor was gone just like that. Instantly healed. Instantly healed. Remember the woman with Smith Wigglesworth? Remember Smith Wigglesworth was in the line? And uh, or Smith Wigglesworth had a prayer line in Africa. And remember this big black woman was in the line? And uh, he was going down through the prayer line, and he hauled off, and he slapped the woman. And the woman hauled off and punched him back, hit him back. And he just went on uh, down the line, and the next day, he come back through the line, or he come back to the service, and had another prayer line, and he comes across this, this another large black woman in Africa. Has his real big brim hat on, real big brim hat on. And he said he had to get down underneath her hat to look at her. And he realized, this is the woman that hit me yesterday. And he looked at her and he said, Sister, you were in my healing line yesterday. You were prayed for yesterday. Why are you back in my line today 
because Smith didn't play around. If he prayed for you to get healed, as far as he was concerned, it happened when he prayed, and that was done. And uh, so he wouldn't know why she was in the line again. And uh, she began to weep and sob and pray and, and cry. And she said, she said, I oh, she said, she said, sir, I owe you a great apology. And he said, why? And she said, well, because I was in your line yesterday and I had this tumorous growth and you hauled off and hit me and me just being me, I hit you back. And she said, but while I was going home, all of a sudden the tumor disappeared and I realized why you hit me and I should not have hit you back. She came back to show Smith Wigglesworth respect, thereby respecting God. I guarantee you she never dealt with cancer again. I don't know that for a fact, but she turned but she came back like the lepers, right? Like the one leper, she came back to show respect and reverence. Sometimes God will tell you to do silly things when you pray for people. I've been praying for people and the Lord told me hit him in the head. Not hard, not mean, just pop him in the head, not pop him in the head. Why? My, I suspect in those situations, their head was in the way of their healing. But yeah, just by the unction of the Holy Ghost, I hit him in the head and said, get out of your head. And they went, what? I don't know. Your, your head's blocking. Listen, your head can block your healing. Your head can block your healing. But Elijah, so what did Elijah do? Elijah got, he eradicated all doubt and unbelief. He pled his case, he pled the case, and then he obeyed God. Then he obeyed what the word, the spirit told him to do. And what happened? The child came back to life. You don't have to have a man, in the prior example, they had to have a man of God pray. But you can get healed without a man, a man or a woman of God praying for you. What do you need to do? You need to get into the word, eradicate uh, unbelief and doubt out of your heart, your head can give you problems. But if you've got faith in your heart, and then you can plead your case, and then you can do what God tells you to do, you'll be healed. You've got to do an act. There's always a faith that's always followed by an act. Always. Always. Well, we're going to end right there on those two because there's a lot of good treasures in those two sermons, those two accounts of healing. A lot of good treasures, a lot of good word to consider. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to give you an opportunity to sow. If you, you know, uh, and, and, and here's the deal. When you have an opportunity to sow, sow something. You know, I, if nothing else, sow a, 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 a seed of faith for a seed to sow. And... Uh, you know, because God brings the increase through the sowing of seed. He brings the increase through the sowing of seed. Well, you all just want money. No, I don't want money. God takes care of the church. It's his ministry. He takes care of it. And we thank God for it. Uh, no, if I try to get anything out of you, it's so that God can get something to you. Literally, it's so God can get something to you. Uh, the kingdom of God works on seed time and harvest, and if you're not putting any seed in the ground, you can't get a harvest. Uh, so I sow frequently, and it's provided and it's proved out. We've proved it out. The more you sow, the more you reap. 
Glory to God. And here's the deal. The amount, it's not about the amount. It's about the position of the heart. Because God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver. If you're grudging about giving, keep your money in your pocket. I mean, seriously. Seriously. It's about the heart. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, we thank you. And we honor you. And we praise you. And we glorify you. And we thank you for your divine healing power in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we glorify you. Father, we magnify you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sow a seed. And Father, I just ask, this is my heart's request, that you cause every seed sowed to increase abundantly above what we could ask or think and that the seed sowed creates a harvest according to your riches and glory by, by Christ Jesus. And, Father, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Derek, you can serve the people. Father, we thank you for mighty increase. Pastor Mike sends his love. We don't have a potential home dead return date yet, but I believe it will probably be next, not this Monday or Tuesday, but sometime early part of the next week is what I suspect. There's not a 